Hello, and thank you for joining us on our Inspire Church podcast. It's our prayer that this message inspire you, that it builds your faith, and that it can help you see how God desires to move in your life. Enjoy the message. Well, we're starting our new series uh, today called Mastering the Mind. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be unpacking this uh, as we go through and giving practical keys and stuff like that. And uh, so, but the tonight, uh, this morning, I want to talk about mastering the mind requires a desire to change. And in Romans 12, verse 2 says, Don't conform to the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, or in other versions, by renewing your mind. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I was reading this quote as I was preparing the other day and I thought it really well, you know, was a, lays a great platform. It says, the central control centre of our soul is the mind. Therefore, the mind is our battlefield and will determine whether or not we have victory or defeat in our Christian lives. The mind. Such a key part to our life. It's the place where the biggest battlefields happen. It's where victories are won and lost. There is no action that takes place. Sorry, before any action takes place, there's a thought that is always attached to it. There is no action that we do that doesn't have a thought go before it. The mistakes, the struggles, the things that we, we may fall into, there's always that thought attached and that's why the battle first starts in the mind. I don't know about you, but there's been many times where I've tried to won the victories that I've, uh, and the battles that I've been facing, tried to get the victories over that. And what I've tried to do is, is take the, the struggle, the, the action head on. And I've wondered why I've continually fallen over, I've not been able to find my breakthrough. Why? Because I'm going after the wrong thing. Because instead of going after the action or the sin or, or, the, or the practical thing that we're doing that is wrong, I forgot to realise that actually my battle and where my victory is won is when I can master my mind. And I think that's why often we find so much frustration in life and we struggle at times and we wonder why we continue to fall time and time again and go through the same habit patterns. And I wonder, the question should probably be, is how well have we learned to master our mind? Because when we master the mind, then the victories in the natural become a reality in our life. We all go through seasons of challenge. We all go through times where, oh, I know for me personally, where everything seems to be falling apart. At times where God seems absent, where you can stand in an atmosphere like we were this morning and be lifting your hands, but yet feel nothing. Where you can feel dry and yet you look at the person next to you and they're going hard, man. Not their hands are lifted, tears are falling down. They're sensing God's presence. You're like, God, why are you touching them and not me when I'm standing right next to them? Have you ever been through those seasons? been through those challenges where we've even questioned whether or not this whole Christianity thing is real. I've been through plenty of those where I haven't been able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's in those seasons that the enemy's strategy is to come hard and fast, to attack your thinking, because he knows that's what will affect your life. I've uh, been through a season of challenge in the last eight weeks, and many of us would know uh, my story around my knee and got injured and was told I had six months before I could play sport again. But yet eight weeks later, God's done a complete miracle and, and I'm now practicing and ready to play again because God is a good God. Amen. 
But it was in the midst of that season that the challenge was very tough. And just as I'd passed through that season, and you think, oh, whew, I'm done, man. I, you know, I'm more good. I'm now in a good place. Who hates it when then something else hits you straight after? It's like, God, are you for real? Can you not give me a break? Sometimes I think God's just up there laughing at me saying, I'm just giving you more stories, testimonies that you can preach about. I'm like, thanks. I'm like, every time I go through something, Joel's like, oh, that'll come up in a message. I'm like, true. And so obviously just come out of that season. And then two weeks later, uh, two weeks ago, um, Charlie, our youngest, he's 11. He'd been, he'd been quite sick over the last few months. And, and, uh, and so, you know, whenever he'd come in contact or have a friend over or someone in the family would have a flu or whatever, and with just a minor dose of that, he would always get it and it would be full on. We had our nieces here from New Zealand and they brought the kiwi bug with them, uh, the bug of greatness. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so anyway, they were sick. Um, <laughs> they were sick and, uh, and just a minor touch of the flu. And then they left and Charlie just got it hard out, like just extreme. And we're like, man, this can't be right. And we took him to the doctor. And as we had done over you know, the course of the last few months, and, and we told him what was going on. And he said, uh, look, let me prescribe some antibiotics for the flu that he's got at the moment, but let's do a blood test to see if there's anything major going on or, or what to find out what's happening. Anyway, so Charlie goes home, he takes the antibiotics, and it made him feel really sick, so he stopped taking them. We said, oh, don't worry about it, because it was making him worse. They say never stop antibiotics, right, once you started them? Well, we did. And uh, anyway, and so, uh, so we stopped it. And he actually got better over that week, and then the following week, which was last week, he, uh, he went back to the doctor to get his results of the blood test. So a doctor looks at it and he opens it, looks at it and Al was with him and he goes, oh, with a really concerned look on his face. He said, Charlie's got a viral infection in his blood and, and it's quite a serious infection and we're not quite sure what the actual inf uh, viral infection is, but it is in his blood. And so, you know, what we need to do is we need to rush him straight in. He needs to go straight across to get another blood test to find out what's wrong, what, the, what virus it is, and then we can treat it. And Al's texting me through this and going, baby, you wouldn't believe it. Charlie's got a viral infection. The doctor looks really concerned. I'm really worried. And, uh, and so, um, <clears throat> so anyway, she, she goes and gets the blood test. And he said, go and get it. I'll rush the results through. Come back in two days so we know what is, is the next course of action. And Al says, should we take antibiotics for it now? He said, there's no point because we don't know what we're treating. But we need to get onto it. And so anyway, so she's freaking me out. I read this text. I think I was in the middle of a meeting here at church and I'm now freaking out and finding it hard to concentrate and, uh, and whatnot. And so anyway, I, get off of, I ring her up and just got the story from her. And, uh, and um, so we got all that done and that was all, that was all fine. But it was amazing in the midst of that, that that's where the real challenge lies. Right? I was like, God, you can, you, man, I don't care if things happen to me, but don't let it happen to my kids. Parents would testify to that. Let me do damage to my knee for the next eight weeks for the rest of my life, but just keep my kids, the ones who I really love, let them be okay. And it was right in that midst where even Charlie, who uh, we didn't, he didn't understand necessarily what was going on, nor did we tell him the severity of it, but he comes home and he's really worried. And he's, 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 a, he's a bubbly kid, right? And he comes home and he says, Mum, Dad, I'm really worried. Am I really sick? Right, dude, man, you'll be okay. Jesus got you. It's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. But over the next two days, he has got no, like he's lost all life. He's just down, heads low. And you start feeling it as a parent. And, uh, and so, um, you know, so we got the blood test done and, and we were just, man, there was nothing more that got me on my knees to pray. But the battle was in my mind. All the, all the worst things that I thought could happen. 
I was thinking about what if he dies? We Googled it, right? It's never a good idea. <laughs> Google always, you know, I use it as a doctor often, but it's always very negative. And so, you know, viral infection in the blood, it can, you know, often, Google says go, and go to hospital straight away, that it can kill people because, you know, it moves around the body, all that kind of stuff, and so we're freaking out. It came to the point where there is nothing we could do in the natural to, to solve it. I could do nothing. All we could do is rely on God. All we could do is pray. All we could do is stand up and believe. But man, it was tough. It was really tough. Remember sitting in the doctor waiting room where he's about to go and get the second result and Charlie's standing there next to Al with his arm around her and, uh, and he's just got this sort of worried look on his face and I'm sitting next to her and I'm like, I'm freaking out at that point. I'm really starting to get concerned. Man, what if this is it? What if he has to go to hospital? What if it's major? What if they can't fix him? You know, whatever. And I'm starting to really freak out. It's amazing how the enemy will try and often hit the thing that you love and then he'll hit the ones that you love to take you out of relationship with the one who loves you. Remember sitting in that place, texting a few closest guys and said, look, I need you guys to pray for us. We go into the doctor's surgery and he looks at the results and he says, oh, that's interesting. There's no viral infection. It's completely gone. He said, we gave him antibiotics uh, Wednesday, right? We said, no, you didn't give him any antibiotics. Remember, you wanted to wait and see what it was. He's like, oh, that's right. Well, it's not there. God is a good God, amen. God is a faithful God. God is a God. When the enemy comes to rob, steal and destroy, he will try and hit you at your mind. But yet we need to stand up in the person of who God has called us to be. We need to stand up full of faith and sometimes that's not always easy. But you need to fight the fight here. There are times where you may feel weak and all you wanna do is isolate yourself. But can I say the best thing you can do is run to faith-filled people and say, would you stand with me? Because that's when often when we're weak, we can find strength in them. That's what I needed. John 10, 10 says the thief's purpose is to steal and to kill and to, to destroy. My purpose is to give them rich and satisfying life. When we fill our mind with God's word, we leave no room for the enemy's lies. The first step to us mastering our mind is we've got to have the desire to change. We've got to have a desire not to stay where we are. We've got to have a desire to position ourselves to move forward. Change has to be something that we want to do. It has to be something that we're willing to take the steps that are required to see us move forward in the plans that God has for us, no matter how difficult, no matter how challenging, no matter how hard it may be. Because can I say, change is never easy. Change doesn't just happen like that. I wish it did. I wish we could just pray, God, change me. Then all of a sudden we're changed to be just like He is. But unfortunately, often there's a process that takes place. And we have to have that desire. If we don't have that desire to change, then we will remain in the same place. We won't move forward if we don't have a desire and a willingness to change. A desire to change has to be a part of who we are, not just something we turn on and off. A desire to change needs to be a continual thing that we're constantly walking and that we're constantly saying, God, help me to be more and more like you. God, help me to be someone who continually brings honour to your name. God, help me to be someone who, who always is looking, what can I do better to move me more forward in the God call that is upon my life? A desire to change won't settle for a life that's average or second best. I wonder how often we settle for average or we settle for second best because we don't have a desire to change our situations. A desire to change won't make excuses for where you're at 
I have many excuses when I catch up with people about why they're in situations that they're in. Yeah, but Steve, you don't know the things that I've been through. You don't know the family that I came from, the area that I live in. All of, you don't know. You don't know. That's cool. I understand that life's tough and it throws some curveballs our way. But ultimately, God is the change agent. And when we have that desire to change, then He can move us forward. A desire to change will be, uh, we need to have a desire to change and to see our weaknesses and help move them and turn them into our strengths. A desire to change will push you closer to God because ultimately He is the one that changes you. James 4 verse 7 to 8, so humble yourself before God. Here it is, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come closer to God and God will come closer to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. I love this verse because it gives us a couple of keys that we need to do, that we're responsible for, right? We know when Jesus died on the cross, He took every sin, He took every struggle, He took every weakness upon Himself, that the battle has already been won, the victory is already ours and we need to step into that. However, that does not remove us from coming into temptation. That does not remove us from the enemy constantly trying to push against us, constantly trying to cause us to stumble. No, no, that is a part of life. And I know I've felt at times where, and I've fallen into this trap, was like, yeah, God, I'm victorious. You know, greater is He who's in me, and that's awesome. So then when, when, when struggle comes my way, sometimes, right, we just can sit there and like, it's all good, I got this. The next minute we find that we fall and we struggle. Because the Word says we have to actually do something. Yeah, the victory is yours. The battle has already been won. But you then have to resist the devil when he comes. When that thought of insecurity hits your mind, you have to resist that thought. When fear bombards you, you have to resist that thought. When unclean thoughts hit your mind, you need to resist that thought. And then it says the enemy will flee. If you think on that, the enemy ain't fleeing. He's remaining right there and he's gonna take a greater hold on your life. Why? Because we are not choosing to resist him. But then the other part of that, it says, draw closer to God and He will draw closer to you. He already loves you. He's already in relationship with you, but He wants us to come to Him. As we choose to draw closer to Him, God, why am I in this situation? My question would be, how close are you drawing to God? Because the closer we continue to draw, then we find our freedom. As we resist, the devil will flee. As we come closer to God, God will move closer to us. And it's in that that we then find our freedom. We then find our victory. Man, if you don't know what else to say when you're struggling, just declare that name of Jesus. If you're lost for words, just declare that name of Jesus because there's power in that name of Jesus. If we're gonna have a desire to change, to to see us master the mind, then we need to know the truth of who we are. And this morning I wanna declare four truths of who God says that you are. First one is this. In Him, we have been chosen. He chose you. He chose you. There's at times where we all feel like we're worthless, where we feel like we're insignificant, where we feel like nobody would choose us because of we're used goods, we're damaged goods. But yet God says He chose you. Every one of you. Yep, your weaknesses and all, He still chose you. If you remember back in the days when you are at school, Right, and it's, uh, I don't know, lunchtime or PE or whatever, and it's like, you know, teacher's like, oh, we're going to play a game of rugby. And uh, it's like, cool. And so what we're going to do is we're going to divide, you know, we're just going to pick two captains. All right, who wants to be captain? Right, I would always put up my hands and say, pick me to be captain. Because I know if I wasn't captain, I was always the last to be picked. Mm-hmm. No one wants that. 
right? And so they picked two captains. And then it's at that time that then if you're not good at sport, you are about to die. Because you know you're going to be one of the last to be picked. No one wants to be the last to be picked because there's a whole bunch of rejection that falls on you. I'm full of rejection from those seasons in my life that I had the breakthrough, right? That's at that moment that was, oh, hang on, guys, man, I'm not feeling well. I've got to go to the toilet, right? And even though nothing's happening in the toilet, but you just do anything you can to get out of that situation because you're afraid that no one's going to choose you. And if they do, they're only choosing you because like, you're the last one there. God's not like that. He doesn't say, you see, okay, hang on a minute. You, oh, I don't know about you. Let's look, let's look at your, uh, your history. Let's look at your criminal sheet. Mm-hmm. Let's look at all the wrong things that you've done. Oh, 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 you did. Oh, oh, hang on. Just you wait there. And I just want to see the next person's like, oh, hang on. You're not so good either. You're not. Oh, what? The, where's all the good people at? No, no, Jesus doesn't do that. He just looks at you straight away and goes, you come. You come. You come. You come. You're like me? Me? But I, I'm, I'm, I'm no good, man. I've got all this. No, no, no. It doesn't matter. You'll come. I'll make you awesome. You come. I'll make you the best player on the team. You come. I've got a purpose just, that's just suited for you. It doesn't matter how old you are. I want you to come. Doesn't matter whether you've been to Bible college or not, I just want you to come. Doesn't matter whether you've been saved only one day, one week, and you're struggling with a whole bunch of stuff, I still want you to come because I love you. God chose you. He chose you. He chose you. The Bible tells us that we are chosen by Him, that He chose us before we were even formed, that before anything existed, He had you. On his mind. How amazing is that? Even before God created the world, he had you, he thought about you, and he loved you. You're not rejected, you're not left alone. You don't need to strive to be good enough because his love for us is unconditional. Ephesians 1, verse 4 Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault. In his eyes. I love that. That gives me confidence. That gives me reassurance that I can walk out the plans that God has for me, even though I see my struggles, even though I see my faults. Why? Because he chose me. So, therefore, the least I can do is choose him and give him my all. Second thing is, he says, In him we are holy and blameless. Oh, hello, now you're speaking to me, God. Blameless. Hello, Nathan Rangel can take all of the things that I've done and you can put it on his rap sheet. That would be awesome. No, no, he says we're holy and we're blameless. Every one of you. Your past is not the thing that will define your future. Your mistakes are not greater than God's love for you. When our past mistakes and failures is the thing that is leading your life and determining your choices, then we're elevating our past to be greater than what Jesus did on the cross. Sending a message that my past was too big for Jesus to erase it. But yet Jesus erased it when he died on the cross for you. But we have to choose to win that battle in the mind. We have to choose and come into that understanding that we are blameless and we are holy in him. Because he died on the cross for you. Because he took every sin, past, present, and future. He makes us holy and blameless. That is why we can walk in God's presence every day, even when we struggle. Colossians 1 verse 22. 
Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. There is no mark against your name. There is no red pen saying D against your name. There is no rap sheet before Jesus with all of the things that you have done before Him because you are holy and blameless. Third thing, in Him there is no condemnation. You know, there's a big difference between condemnation and conviction. Sometimes we can tie it up as all the same thing, but it's not. Conviction is the prompting of the Holy Spirit that keeps us on the right path. You know that prompting on the inside where you're about to make a decision or you're about to do something and then there's that, whole, there's that tug at you like, you, you know, trying to, don't do that. Come on now, Steve. Don't go and shop and spend 500 bucks at that store. It's not good for you. All right, come on, don't drive into McDonald's. It's not good. It's only going to cause weight gain. Right, the promptings. All right, don't point people to Jesus when they cut you off on the road. The promptings on the inside of us. Uh-huh, you know what I'm talking about. It's those promptings. That is the conviction of God. Because that is the Holy Spirit on the inside of us helping to direct and to lead. And what we're called to do is not live out of our feelings and emotions, but yet we're called to live out of the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the leading of the Holy Spirit. That our lives would be determined and dictated to and led by the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. That is a good godly conviction. Condemnation, on the other hand, brings shame and a lack of self-worth that comes from only the devil. So when you make a mistake, condemnation tries to rub it in and says, wow, there's no way you can worship Jesus because of you just yelled at your wife when you drove into the car park. Yeah, but don't you know what she did to me? Mm-hmm. Condemnation. Condem- condemnation is shame. The enemy tries to make you feel like you're not good enough. We're not called to live under condemnation. We're called to be free of condemnation. We're not called to feel like we're worthless because of our mistakes. That's condemnation. Condemnation is something that people can put on you. It's also the biggest condemnation that often comes is what we put on ourselves. Condemnation is crippling to your life if you live under it. But God said there's no condemnation. When our mind is bombarded with condemnation and shame, we need to stand up and we need to push back and we need to declare what God says. We need to rise up on the inside of us. We need to take authority over the thoughts that bombard our mind, that will keep you condemned, that will keep you tied to your past. And you need to say, devil, you can hit me with this condemnation, but I am a son and daughter of God. I'm choosing to rise up. I'm choosing to stand up. When he hits you and says, you shouldn't be coming to church, I'm gonna come to church anyway. Yeah, but don't you know what you did? I do, but I know what my God did. Jesus died on the cross. He nailed my mistake to it so I can stand up and so I can be a son and daughter of God and I can come and worship Him freely. We're not called to live under the law of sin and death, but we're called to live under the freedom of God's grace. God's grace, His enabling power to move you through the struggles and the condemnation that the enemy would place on you. The team can come and join me. Romans 8 verse 1 to 2 says, So now there is no condemnation. (laughs) Calm down people. (laughs) For those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. 
That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Wow. If we're still under the control, under the condemnation of our sinful nature, the Word says we can never please God. God, help me never to come under the condemnation of the struggles and the sin that I would have. Instead, God, help me to walk in freedom under the grace of God. Last thing is this. If we want to win the battle of our mind, master our mind, you need to know that you are more than a conqueror. The word conqueror means just that. That's you. You're more than a conqueror. You're called to conquer, dominate, overcome, possess the things that God's asking you to. The plans that God's spoken to your life, but yet you've rationalised it in your mind that there's no way you could do that. You know what? You're called to conquer that. No matter how big and no matter how tough it seems, no matter how much you think there's no way I could do that in my own strength. That's what Jesus wants. He's not asking us to do it in our own strength. He's asking us to do it in His strength. The only way we can be a conqueror is when we realise that we're doing it empowered by Him. Whatever we face, whatever we go through, God has given us the ability to conquer it. When we start to walk in the truth of who we are in God, then we can conquer fear, can conquer depression, you can conquer anxiety, sickness and whatever else comes your way. When I was hit with the two things that challenged me the most, yeah, I struggled for a bit. I wrestled with it in my mind for a bit, questioning why God, why me? But ultimately I had to come to that place where you know what? I stood up with who I am and God, I got people around me to help me stand up. And then I said, you know, I'm gonna conquer this in Jesus' Name. I'm gonna see God come through in Jesus' Name. I'm gonna see a victory over my life. I'm gonna see a victory over my son's life in the Name of Jesus. And God came through. Why? Because He's a good God. But here's the thing. If I didn't see the miracles as I did, I would have still stood up. I would have still worshipped Him. I would still honour Him. I would still stand and believe full of faith, knowing that I'm, gonna, that I'm called to conquer. There would have been times it still would have been tough, yes where I would have had to master the thoughts that were coming to my mind. But yet, I know who I am in God. I know whose I am. I'm a son of the Most High God, and so are you. Sons and daughters. Romans 8 verse 37. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is yours through Christ Jesus who loved you. When we have the foundations of our life, then we can start to master the mind. When we have godly foundations, we can start to master the mind. When we know who we are in Jesus, we can start to master the mind. And we're gonna be looking over the next couple of weeks a few practical keys around that, but this morning we wanted to really just lay that foundation so that then it can be built upon and built upon so that we can start to see victories in Jesus' Name, Amen. Thanks again for joining us. If you have any questions or simply for more information regarding Inspire Church, visit us at inspirechurch.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram. It's our prayer that you live inspired by the Word of God and more alive in Him than ever before. Until next time.